my friend, you have found the Functioning Hot Mess Podcast. I'm your host, Tanya Murray, life coach and author. I started this show to share life lessons and hot mess moments along with a few shenanigans to let you know you're not alone in this roller coaster of life. Each week, you'll get a solo episode or an interview to help you improve your self-confidence, create healthy relationships, or become a better parent. If you love what you hear, hit subscribe and I'll automatically show up in your downloads each and every week. All right, let's get on with the show. Hey, podcast fam. This episode has been brought to you by Positive Vibe Coffee Co. Get freshly roasted premium coffee delivered right to your door. The bag's are filled with the coffee still warm. It's that fresh. Every time you open the cupboard, you're going to see names like I am empowered, I am worthy, I am awesome. And over time, those simple positive affirmations can create dramatic change in your life. And you get fabulous premium coffee. Best of both worlds, I'm telling you. To find it, go to www.positivevibecoffeeco.com. When you check out, make sure you use the code PODCAST to get 15% off your first order. This isn't just about premium coffee. It's about spreading more positivity in our lives. We all know we could use more of that right now. And with that, let's get into this episode. You guys, I cannot wait for you to get to know my guest today. Natasha Sattler is the author of Shit Adults Never Taught Us, right? I mean, just the title alone is amazing. (laughs) You've got to go check out this book. I really think you're going to love this conversation. So Natasha, she was raised in Maryland and she's always wanted to kind of seek creative endeavors. So she used to write full TV scripts and put on plays for her family when she was a kid. She went to the University of Central Florida at the age of 17 I know, right? To study filmmaking. And she had a concentration in screenwriting. No surprise then that she ended up in Los Angeles just shortly after graduating college. And she started finding herself in the role of producer and broadcasting commercials and doing all the creative stuff that's just awesome, right? In 2020, she started her next chapter by becoming an author. And she wrote Shit Adults Never Taught Us in just a few weeks. It was a compilation of pandemic times and conversations with friends and things that everyone was wishing they would have known. So I can't wait for you to catch this interview. We talk about a lot of stuff. We're covering jobs. We're talking about money. We're talking about relationships, trust, courage, vulnerability, and even one of my favorite topics, which is solo travel. So make sure you tune into this episode. And also I would love if if you would follow Natasha on social media, go check out her website. We'll give you all those links at the end and I'll have them of course in the show notes for you too. I really think you're going to love her. She's definitely awesome. And without anything more, let's tune into this combo. All right, Natasha, thank you so much for being on the Functioning Hot Mess podcast. I'm so excited that you're here and I can't wait to share this with the listeners. I know they're going to love you and your book and everything you have to offer. So before we jump in, let's get to know you a little bit. Tell us about yourself. Yeah, let's get to know me. Okay, so I am an East Coaster, born and raised uh, around DC in the Maryland side. And I moved out to Los Angeles 10 years ago. Since then, I've been working in broadcast commercials for the most part, little feature films, little other things. But for the bulk of my career, I have been working in commercials. And because of that, I I go through a lot of job changes and a lot of, I interact with a lot of people and I've met a lot of people and I've made a lot of friends. And Los Angeles is very much a transplant city that everybody comes from all over. So I have friends with a lot of different backgrounds, a lot of different uh, upbringings, and they're all, you know, kind of collectively creating this person that I am. And then quarantine hit. I was furloughed for about four months and I found myself first, you know, I did what everybody else did. I watched Netflix. I watched all of the internet. I swear to God, I've seen everything that Netflix and Hulu has to offer. And then I just started, you know, you get kind of lonely. And so I started having those Zoom happy hours that everybody was having. And I, you know, you start doing the same thing every Zoom happy hour. You're like, hi, how are you? What's going on? And after the second or third, the answer to that is nothing. 
you know, nothing's going on because, you know, we're all sitting at home staring at a wall. So the conversations I was having with friends got so much deeper than I'd ever had. And these are people I've known for years, sometimes childhood friends. Mm -hmm. And we got so much deeper because the pandemic was bringing things up for people. So we're talking about savings and investments and finances and 401ks and when should I leave a job and how do I get a side hustle? But then we're also talking about mental health and relationships and navigating things that, you know, for 20, 30, 40 year olds, we we've coasted by somehow. And it's likely because we were busy and we weren't focusing on it. And we just, you know, placated ourselves into happiness. But I, when you slow down, I noticed that we don't question ourselves as much as we probably should. And that's probably because people just didn't teach us things. And we're looking around and it seems like everybody else has their shit together. And Mm -hmm. we're like, okay, well, if I don't have my shit together, what's wrong with me? Let me go Google it. Let me figure it out. And I, I hate that because we're not asking questions. So instead I wrote a book and it didn't intend to be a book. I just sat down and I started documenting the conversations I was having with people and writing it as like a little guide. And my first thought was maybe it'll go on the internet. Maybe it'll be a blog. Maybe it'll be, I don't know, a website of some sort. But if you're at all like me, when you Google something, you get incredibly overwhelmed. And Mm -hmm. I, especially like my generation, we grew up sort of in that internet generation where I remember Ask Jeeves and then what was it like Juno and Mm -hmm. Yahoo and Google. And I've gotten very used to Googling questions. And I was like, I don't know if that's the way to do it because you get overwhelmed. You, You click on the first link, it loads for that scroll bar gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And you're like, oh, that's too much. Then you click on the second link, it gives you an answer. You click on the third link, it gives you a totally different answer. So this book is the topics are picked by my own personal experiences, my own life lessons, failures in particularly, but then also picked by conversations I had with friends and acquaintances and coworkers and heavily researched and then put into a book so that you don't have to do that. It's 98 chapters, which sounds really scary, but is definitely not (laughs) because each chapter is three pages or under. It's divided into career and money, relationship, mind, and life. And about half of the chapters have checklists at the bottom so or at the end of the chapter so that you can take those items and make them actionable. So it's just a resource. You don't have to go digging through the internet on all 98 of these topics, and you don't need all 98 of these topics. You pick Mm -hmm. up the book, you put it down. When your life changes, you pick it up, you read a different chapter, you read it from a different mindset and you put it down. It's definitely not a novel. And I wrote it because it just felt like it didn't exist and we needed it. What did you call the book? Shit Adults Never Taught Us. (laughs) I love that title. And how true is that? Because it feels like every time we turn around, it's we're figuring something out because no one ever taught it to us, but yet I'm a parent. And so I look at, you know, everything I know, how in the heck do I teach that to my kids? So I just love, I love the the words. I love the title. That's awesome. Well, and I made the whole thing really funny because Mm. people probably did teach us all of this or at the very least the career and money section. They probably did teach us that. They taught us the investments. They taught us all the stupid savings stuff and all the really boring life stuff. Mm -hmm. It was boring. So we didn't listen to it. Yeah, And so I made it funny and witty and I just, you know, I make fun of myself and I joke around and it's quick. So when it's quick, it's easier to learn. I just remember sitting in classrooms being like, oh my God. And you're a parent, so you understand like kids tune out pretty much the second mm-hmm. it doesn't involve them. Mm-hmm. And that's why, and so do adults. I'm not saying <laughs> just kids. And that's why I wrote it this way is I'm like, you're going to tune out. I read self-help books and I get the whole chapter and I'm like, I have no idea what I just read because it's not relevant to me. So I wrote it where if it's not relevant, don't read it. Just Mm -hmm. read the chapters that you need today, put it back on a shelf and in six months, read the chapters you need then. But yeah, I did that on purpose. I also had a really good upbringing. I had fantastic parents. I had a fantastic school system. I learned a lot. And then the whole world changed. Yeah. Technology change. If they tried to teach me investing back then, it would be so irrelevant to now because mm-hmm. investing, I thought it had to be like a dude in a suit who was walking yep. around Wall Street. And it's not. It's 
It's an app on your phone. <laughs> well, and you know, so much of life is learning through experiences. And as an adult, we're trying to share those experiences so that other people can maybe have an easier path, right? And I remember my youngest was, they they started going back to school during the pandemic. He was in seventh grade. And, you know, he was kind of just complaining about school. He didn't want to go. He just, you know, just the normal, typical kid stuff. And I was telling him, I'm like, I know, buddy, you know, nobody just loves it. Your brothers didn't love it either. I didn't love it. You're not alone in this. And he just stopped and he turned and looked at me and he's like, but none of you guys had to do it during a pandemic. And I was like, okay, good point. So to me, it's like, no matter what lessons I could have ever shared, I couldn't teach him how to do it through a pandemic. Yeah. (laughs) It was like, I I got nothing. (laughs) I had a super similar conversation with my dad when I graduated. I graduated. So I entered college in 2007 and I graduated in 2010. And I remember leaving college and my dad was like, so here's what you're going to do when you get a job. And I was like, dad, you started in the lobby. I'm starting in the basement. And that's just our whole generation started in the basement. And then we took 10 years and we worked our way up and we're finally like, okay, this is probably where we should be around now. And then a pandemic hits and we're set right back down a couple floors because half of us got laid off, half of us, the skill sets have changed. Now we're working from home. It's not really um, equatable to anything else that my parents had in their life. So even if they wanted to give me the information, I don't think they could. Right. Well, and there's a lot of change that just comes in all life. Like, you know, for me growing up, I was always taught that you go to college, you get a job, you stay until retirement for 30 years or whatever, and then you go live happily ever after. But what about if you're in that 30 year-ish career and you're like, yeah, I'm not loving this anymore. Like nobody taught you how to change midstream. I feel like that was the mentality, wasn't it? Like Mm -hmm. people would go and get a job. They'd sit in that job for 30 years. And I just believed that every year they gave them buckets of money. And (laughs) they were like, oh, you've been here another year. Congratulations. Here's more money. And that's not how raises work. Mm -mm. And that's definitely not in the economy I've always worked in. That's not how raises work. And there are things like relocation packages and matching 401ks that were way more prevalent in a previous generation. So even when you look at what employers are offering, why we're not looking for the same things that we were looking for. I used to, like, when I talked to my dad, I used to, he had all these different things that the company offered him that were like, stay with us. And now companies are like, we'll give you yoga classes or lunches, Mm -hmm. or it's something (laughs) totally different to distract you from the fact that they're not matching your 401k or providing you with any pension plans. Right. And it's different, but also we want different things because we're in a different world. So you maybe used to stay in a job for 30 years, but now the way to move up isn't waiting at this company for a position to open up. There's so many startups now. There's so The internet makes it very easy to apply for jobs. So you're not stuck in a job. You mm-hmm. can work wherever. Sometimes working remotely is opening opportunities to work all over the world. And so people are moving jobs at a much faster rate and staying in a job for five years is really great. And I have Mm -hmm. a whole chapter on when to leave a job, which is nice, way more prevalent now than I think it ever was because it used to be, well, you leave a job when you retire. Why would Mm -hmm. you leave or move? Why would you leave a job before that? Yeah. And like, there was never the conversation of what if you get fired? Like, I don't ever remember even hearing that ever growing up. It was, you get the job, you stay till retirement. No one threw out an option of laid off, furlough, retired or fired. Like I had no idea that that was even a thing. And the concept of getting fired was like, you fucked up. Yes. Not, not the, there's something that happened out of your control. So when you hear people lost their job, like I, as a kid was like, oh no, what did they do? Mm -hmm. And now the reality is probably not their fault at all. Mm-hmm. The company downsized, it moved, the position changed, the skill set changed, it went overseas. It's a different, it's hybriding into a different company. They merged, they got bought out. There's so many things that could happen. And part of it could just be they weren't 
the right fit. Right. And that's also totally fine. You don't have to be right for every job. It's good thing you tried it, Mm -hmm. but now you know what you don't fit into or what you don't like. So move on to something that's more suited for you. Right. Well, I love this topic and I want to transition it a little bit to more about relationships because I know that was a huge thing during the pandemic was, you know, well, it was, it was interesting because a lot of people now, all of a sudden we are stuck at home with our significant others. Yeah. And holy crap, the (laughs) change that that makes for people. Just, you know, what was, what did you notice with that when you were having conversations with your friends? I noticed there's so many layers to it. I think that the relationship and the mental health sections go hand in hand because you got to take care of you to take care of other people. And you've got to know who you are to know who you are in reference to others. But I also think there was a, a few things that happened. First, people would enter relationships in earlier parts of the pandemic and then move in together because it was like, all right, well, we just have to escalate this quickly. We're spending every day in the house anyways. The dating, the whole idea of going out and dating fell away. And the opposite happened. A lot of people were like, oh, I don't like this person enough to see them all the time. And so they broke up and that relationship didn't get the opportunity to grow into something that it could have been. Mm -hmm. People who were married, either it was like a sink or swim thing. Mm -hmm. They either had to face some things that maybe got ignored and were and had to work through it, or they were uh, confronted with things that had been ignored for too long and ended up separating. And all of those things are perfectly fine. Just like the job, you're just finding the thing that's better suited for you. And having time with yourself, slowing down, that was the big thing during the pandemic, right? We slowed down. We took a look around us. We took a deep breath and we were like, what do I actually want? And a lot of people figure that out with their job, but a lot of people figure it out with their relationship. I think mental health in particular, we all suffered some sort of anxiety, depression, or something of the sort because we were faced with a circumstance completely out of our control, and that spirals people in a way. It may not have been even conscious for a lot of people, but there is this, when is this going to be over? When is my life going to get back to starting? What what am I going to do next? And all of that causes questions of, am I even in the right thing? Am I living the life I want? So a lot of people questioned their whole being. And again, even, you know, like you mentioned, it was, is this the career that I even really want to do? Yeah. And yeah. And along that, I really love the mental health piece because I think for so many of us, we stay so busy as that is such a great distraction from having to deal with our crap. So the busier we are, the more stuff we add to our plate, the more we do, the less we have to deal with what's the crazy chaos within. And then here we were faced with nothing left but that. And I think it's an incredible opportunity to work on ourselves, but damn, that's hard. (laughs) Well, when we're faced with ourselves, we don't always know what we're looking at. And so we have to dig a little bit deeper. like, And that's true in, in career relationships, really anything. Mm-hmm. Like when you're faced with yourself, you sometimes have to figure out what exactly you want yourself to be. Mm-hmm. And man, that is hard if you have thought of yourself a certain way. Like especially I think in our generation, our 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 country, our culture, you're defined by several things. You're defined by your career. You're defined by your relationship and relationship status. You're defined by if you have kids, where you live. If any of those things go into question, you start questioning you. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, then what's my identity? And that's just such a huge crux of this book. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, well, let's figure it out. So it's so the book really then, not only is it tips and tricks and tools, but it's helping you find you. Yeah. I mean, it's honestly, it's more that tips and tricks is sort of the bonus. It's more deep into digging into you, what you want, what you're thinking, what got lost along the way, what you settled for along the way, what you want to change and what you're actually trying to change, but isn't necessarily like I I write about, like you want to move, 
So you pick up your house and you move down the street and then you feel exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Or like you organize a room and it doesn't make you feel any better because you're not doing the thing. So really like let's stop and figure out what the change has to be. But also we we dig into like having the courage to change, having the courage to fall in love, surviving a breakup, like all the things that sometimes you you know you have to do. But the courage aspect of it, the parts of you that resist it, we got to get over that before we can even make the change. I love the idea of courage to courage involves well just like what we're talking it's every area of our life. Yeah. But sometimes people feel that courage has to be what we see in the movies, you know, it's you're leading this big army, it's this huge thing and really courage can be very very small. It is yeah. getting out of bed today when you don't want to. It is you know, saying no in that relationship, even it doesn't have to be ending the relationship yet. It's just saying, no, that's not okay with me. Or it's setting boundaries. It's setting Mm -hmm. boundaries. It's having a million different conversations. Sometimes just speaking is the biggest amount of courage that you'll have all day. Mm -hmm. Speaking up for yourself, having a conversation at work, having a conversation with a loved one, that can be the most courageous part of your day. And or doing something you've resisted, that can be really scary. Like going to a movie by yourself, going on a you date, just going out by yourself, that can be really scary. But it can also be incredibly necessary and it's a reset that you need, especially now. Like you've spent a lot of time with you. So find new ways, you know, move a little differently. But that is so scary. Sometimes we date the same people because it's comfortable and then we keep ending up in the same relationships and we can't figure out why we're unhappy. Right. It's like, well, because we didn't have the courage to try something new. Mm -hmm. And we didn't have the courage to trust that we have the ability to leave, you know, trusting ourselves that if, if it turns out to be the same one, I'm out, you know, instead it's that it's the fear that kind of comes behind all of it. You got that big word right there. Trust. That's like, I think trust is one of the most um, used words in the book. Like, (laughs) I must use trust more than anything else. Like, trust yourself, trust your gut, trust what your past is telling you about this present moment. There's so much trust that we just don't place in ourselves. And we treat others so much better than we ever treat ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we put the trust in other people. And then when they don't live up to that expectation or they break that, it really tanks us. And, yeah. but yet it, the trust is within us, you know, it's okay to, it's okay to make a mistake. It's okay to, that someone else didn't have the same mindset as you. It's, you know, just trust in ourselves is so much more important than even the trust in others. Well, and we put a lot of happiness, our own happiness in other people too. So we're like, well, I'll be happy when I get this thing, when I get this relationship, when I get this person, this, like that. we put a lot of happiness in external things and it's not. And then we also put a lot of happiness and trust in the idea of something, the idea of a person, the idea of a relationship and not the actual person. Like you end up disappointing yourself because you're looking at a relationship through whatever's in your head, the future. You end up baking in a future into the relationship that doesn't exist. So you're weighing what's in front of you plus all the expectations that you have for it. You're of course going to get disappointed. There's no way it's going to go 100% the way you've imagined it. A lot of times we, we do, we build up the other person in our relationship. So we want romance. So we see this potential for them to be romantic, but in reality, they don't have a romantic bone in their body and it's not their fault, but we have created this and then we're mad because they're not romantic. And it's like from the outside looking in, you're like, duh. (laughs) Yeah. Well, (laughs) the same goes for a breakup too. When we break Mm -hmm. up with somebody and we're like, I'm over it. I don't even like that person anymore. We've been fighting for months. I don't, I want to move on, but you can't move on. It's because you're not actually grieving the person really anymore. You're grieving the life you thought you would have with them. And you have to move past that. So it's the same with a relationship. When you're in a relationship and you start feeling disappointed, you start feeling bored, you start feeling like it's not living up to what you thought it would be, it's because it's not. 
it's not what you thought it would be because you've built up something probably based on yourself and not that person at all. Like you said, you, you've seen a lot of movies. So you built up the, I want this romance. I want this grand gesture, but none of that is based on the facts of who the person in front of you is. And so you're disappointing yourself mid relationship and you're like, well, I should probably leave because this is boring now, or this isn't what I thought it would be. This isn't living up to my expectations. So you leave. But really, the relationship stayed exactly as it was. Or speak up, say what you want, say what you need, and then see how that person reacts to it. They can't read your mind. (laughs) Right. And that's one thing that the vulnerability that comes with that is where courage kicks in because that is, especially in a longer term relationship, I feel like it's harder to ask later because you've invested time and energy and love and care. And now all of a sudden I'm asking and I feel vulnerable and that's a, that's a hard spot. It is because people are like, well, I've already been in this relationship so long. It's too late to change it. Or they don't break up for that reason. Well, I've already invested five years of my life in this relationship. I guess it's the relationship I'm in. And that's so sad because then you don't get to see what you're capable of, what's out there for you, or you never get to speak up and get the relationship you want. So just because you've been in a relationship for X amount of time and X amount of years and something is the way it is, doesn't mean it can't change. You've been with you your entire life and you know that you're capable of change. So there is no time on, oh, well, it's too late. Could have changed yesterday, but it's too late. Just expired. (laughs) Right. Time is up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. But I really think there's a lot with, you know, we're in a place, just like what you mentioned, being able to Google things it is overwhelming, but at the same time, you know, if something's, if you're not able to communicate or someone's just not picking up what you're putting down, learn new ways to communicate. You know, I look at, or I hear a lot of the comments of nagging, you know, well, constantly nagging, da, 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 da. Well, clearly that's not working. Try something different. Yeah. Have the courage to say, you know, no matter how many times I complain about this, nothing changes. Okay. Maybe complaining about it isn't working. Try something different. And putting it on you. So if you're constantly nagging, nagging is the sense of you, 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 you. You need to do this. You need to change. You need to go do this. Get the groceries. Do this. Whatever. If that's nagging is put on you. So when you say, I really love it when you take care of this. I really love it when you're putting it on you and it doesn't sound like nagging, but you're saying the same shit. Yes. It it comes across better. Mm -hmm. And expressing gratitude. People love when people acknowledge what they're doing. You know, you say thank you for one small thing. And before you know it, consistently over time saying thank you and expressing gratitude, you're going to get more and more and more. So the other day I was I was watching TV with my partner. He and I were just like, you know, binging the 8 millionth show this year. And <laughs> we were watching TV and he made a joke at the screen and I was just like, okay, there's a way where I can be like, you made a bad joke or you you made me uncomfortable. But instead I was like, I didn't love that joke because it made me uncomfortable. Never said you. I didn't love that joke because it made me uncomfortable. And then he doesn't feel attacked. And it's just like, oh, okay, I get it. And then we can have the conversation. Now we just open the door and we get to talk about why the joke made me uncomfortable. But if we never, if I just start with, you're bad at this, <laughs> or yeah. like, you made what the me hell feel, did you just say? <laughs> you made me feel this way. Then the door's staying closed. There's no entry to that. So just put it on you. But we get defensive when the opposite of gratitude. If somebody comes at us, like if somebody comes at me with gratitude, door's wide open. Now you can say whatever you want to me, right? It's like uh, like my supervisor used to say to me, when you have people working with you, you always start with, I really appreciate when you do this, but I think this can be improved. It's the same thing in a relationship. People love hearing gratitude, but they hate hearing criticism. So you can't come at the conversation with criticism or it's just ears closed. Same thing when we were kids. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> we still have those mechanisms of tuning people out. Mm-hmm. That's one of my favorite phrases is to say, you know, when in the history of the planet has that ever been effective? 
Right. You know, I, I don't think it ever has. It's not like we come with a critical way or an attacking type way. I don't think there's ever been, to my knowledge, a time where someone has said, oh, yeah, you know, I think maybe she's right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that doesn't happen. It's like yelling into the internet. Like every time people start having arguments on Facebook or, or you know, any social media, I'm just like, when has this really ever changed someone's mind? Maybe right. 1% of the time. So if the same is true for arguments and relationships or conversations, if 1% of the time it's effective, why would that be your method? Mm-hmm. You got to go with the method that works. And it's proven that starting with I and starting with positivity and then going into what could be deemed as criticism, but still keeping it on you as much as possible, that's something that's proven to be more um, palatable for people to take in so that they can listen to it. And it's not feeling like they're being attacked. I think it just goes back to, you know, understanding that we aren't going, like we are going to make mistakes. We are going to say something that offends someone else. If they let us know, how would we want them to let us know? Like what would be most effective? And it's some, for me, it is someone who actually took the time to think about what about my comment upset them? Because sometimes when they come at you, you can tell that they don't really even know why it upset them. And so therefore it doesn't, really do anything for me. But if they can come with, you know, that really actually triggered XYZ. And then I'm like, holy cow, I had no idea. Well, someone, no one in the entire world can know your entire past because your past is built up of thoughts. So like if you're 35 years old, you have had 35 years worth, worth of thoughts and somebody said something that triggered a thought you had at one point or an experience you had at one point and expecting another person to know every single experience and every single thought you've ever had is insane. It's true for you too. You may be like, I'm upset and I have no idea why. You, That's okay. You don't have to know why because you're asking your brain to conjure up the information from eight years ago and it may not be readily available. Just trust your gut and be like, okay, this made me uncomfortable. You don't have to even say why. Just be like, this made me uncomfortable. What about it do I feel the most uncomfortable with? Let's address that and let's see what can change. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I have a question. As you were talking about meeting with your friends during the pandemic and the relationship or the conversations getting deeper, what was that like? Was that difficult? Was it harder to be vulnerable? Was it easy? Oh, definitely not easy. I have never steered towards vulnerability. I've always run very far away from it. And I think a lot of my friends are the same way. I do have some friends who are good at it, but you know, you you kind of uh, gravitate towards people that are like you. (laughs) And so Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I have a couple of really close girlfriends and we all went through things like one, um, lost a family member and moved back home for a bit of the pandemic. And that brought up the concept of grief and anxiety and depression. And then another friend of mine went through a very tumultuous divorce and a subsequent breakup that brought up a lot of relationships. I had friends who lost their job and couldn't find a job and had no backup savings. And so that brings in the anxiety and also the financial aspects. So then you're having conversations that you never had before because everybody's lives were like, it didn't feel so big. Like something would happen, but you'd have all this other stuff going on. So it didn't feel so big. In a pandemic, when you have nothing else going on, it feels really big. Yeah. There's no distraction. There's nothing else to do during your day. Yeah. And when you start to feel alone, which we did during the pandemic, you think you're the only one going through these things, which we proved, it's been proven during this past year and a half. That's not true. Most people are going through it. But when you're alone in your house and you feel like you're the only one in the world that feels this way or the only one in the world that lost their job, the only one in the world going through a breakup, it can feel insanely heavy. It can feel like you have so much to carry and you can't go to a bar and drink about it. You can't Mm -hmm. go and hang out with your girlfriends. You can't, you know, when you feel like you can't figure out your financial, like you can't do very much when you're stuck. And then that spirals into the mental health, the mind section. So it's, 
and it can be a chicken or egg situation. One can come before the other, but it doesn't have to. So as long as we're having conversations, as long as we're asking questions, you feel less alone and you can keep moving forward. You're not stuck. And that's the main purpose of this book. And what I'm also hearing is the power of connection, because I feel like that was really driven home. Whether you're an extrovert, introvert, you know, some people are having a more of a struggle being at home or did have more of a struggle being at home than others, just based on their personality. But I think it really hit home the power of connection with other people that doesn't go away. No, it's even beyond connection. It's community, knowing that you have support. And some people realize during this, that they don't have the support system that they thought they did. Mm -hmm. And so to that, I say, I have an Instagram. I check my DMs. (laughs) (laughs) I will be the community for people that feel like they don't have one because no one should feel that way. So how, you know, you talked about moving from DC to LA and how, I mean, that had to be quite the jump, (laughs) but you met a lot of new people. You've made a lot of new friends. How do you meet people? That is a really good question. I actually went to college in Florida too. So when I was 17, I graduated high school, left Maryland, went to college for three years, left college, then moved to LA and I travel alone a lot. I think the biggest thing that helps me meet new people is finding somebody that seems like we'd get along and just talking to them about anything and forming the connection like what you were just saying. But the courage in that is knowing that if they don't want to talk to me, I'm exactly where I am right now. Like the rejection isn't as scary as it is in my head. And if they don't talk to me, well, I'm just standing exactly where I am right now, thinking thoughts alone. So give it a shot. I don't have a fear of meeting people, and I know a lot of people do. So it's hard to give advice because there's no one size fits all here. Like what's comfortable for you may not be comfortable for other people. Right. So I, I mean, sometimes it's easier to talk to somebody in a Starbucks line than it is to sit down and have a full conversation. So start there. I know for me, that's one of the things that has been just as I've learned more about myself I have learned that I can get up and speak to a room full of people, full. I don't care how many. And I mean, sure, there's some nerves. Let's not, you know, but <laughs> it's not terrifying to me because it's a room of strangers. I I don't care what they think. They don't have to agree. They don't have to like me. I mean, I don't want to be booed off stage, but that doesn't really bring me a lot of fear anymore. But having to get up and speak in front of a group of my peers or my coworkers or my, not friends, but you know, that little yeah. bit of separation, like the work people or whatever, that is a lot harder for me. So I really think it depends. Cause you're like, this is the persona that they know. And what if it cracks? Like what yep. if they see a different part of me that they don't know yet? And what if they judge that part of me? I get that. Mm-hmm. I have that too. I am totally fine with strangers and I'm totally fine with close friends and sometimes family, but even family can sometimes trigger that a little bit. But yeah, coworkers or that, that acquaintance level, it's Mm -hmm. hard because you're like, well, I've already set myself up as this side of me. And what if they see this other side? What if I accidentally show it? What if I give too much info? That can be really scary, but the same as like, When you're meeting somebody or when you're putting yourself in a situation, the thought that I always have is if they don't like me for whatever comes out, whatever is shown, then they're just not my people. Mm -hmm. Like you, you have certain people that you're just going to gel with instantly that when you talk to them, it feels like you've known each other forever. Those are your people and you're instantly comfortable and you don't feel like you have to hide any parts of yourself or ease them in. But then there are the other people where you're like, okay, well, this is the best version of myself for this person. Right. And then if you slowly start to show all sides of you and that person distances or drifts away, that's just not your person. That's not somebody in your community, your support system, your tribe, whatever it is. So that's okay. There's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with them. It just wasn't a good fit. And I think the part of it's okay is what's so important right there because 
so often we we have that happen and someone kind of drifts apart and then we think, oh my gosh, what did I do wrong? I need to fix it. I messed up. You know, we start and then we start to try to change who we are or we stop showing that side or we pretend it's not there so that we get their approval again. Or we think through every single conversation and we start replaying like we're standing in the shower for 45 minutes thinking of every single thing I've ever said to them. Yes, Yes. I'm an overthinker. And so that that (laughs) is something that definitely is relatable. And then when you figure out it's not personal, it's just a fit, it kind of, there's a sigh of relief. It's just, it wasn't a fit. And, you know, I love it because like you mentioned with the acquaintance level, we we kind of do get there. And then being willing to go beyond that is also courageous because sometimes it's like you mentioned, it's the, you know, you're instantly best friends and you've known each other for years, but sometimes it starts as that acquaintance and can develop into a really great deep friendship, but we have to be willing to let it go past the acquaintance. And that's, that's where we start throwing out those little nuggets of who we are and seeing how they take it. Exactly, because we're we're feeling something is clicking, but we ease in to make sure we're right. We're trying to confirm our own theory. And then if it doesn't work, the disappointment is like, oh, I was wrong. My gut, my theory was wrong. And that feels more personal because you're, again, the trust in yourself. It's courage and trust in you. Mm-hmm. And you feel like you got it wrong. But you didn't. It, it's just the chemistry wasn't there. We tried something. We try a million things a day that don't work out. And we don't take it as personally as we do with connections. I can try and cook something that didn't work out. It doesn't mean that I'm a horrible cook. I mean, I am, right. but it doesn't. I am too. <laughs> it doesn't mean like I can try so many things that just didn't work out. And it doesn't mean I'm bad at these things. It just means that wasn't the right moment, the re- the right ingredients, whatever it is. Hmm. I think that this is a great conversation because this is where a lot of us are right now. We had, you know, the world went to hell in a handbasket overnight Yep. and everything, I don't know, at least for me and the people that I've talked with, it feels as if the stuff that was, that felt big, that was really minor, you know, the pandemic really showed us that none of that matters. And it really helped us start to get to, okay, what really does? And it's who are we spending time with? What are our relationships like? How do we increase our level of happiness and the happiness of those that we love and whatnot? And so much of that is through all these things that we've been talking about. It's rebuilding. You know, we're in a place where we get to, I don't want to say completely start over, but kind of. Yeah, you get to make a change. Change is the easiest right now. But in addition to everything you just listed, it's how do we talk to ourselves? And how do we spend time with ourselves? What is the the track on loop in our brains that we constantly are thinking about? Like, what do I spend so much time a day thinking about? Is it the past? Is it the future? Is it the present? Is it people? Is it mistakes? Is it experiences? What is it that's causing so much anxiety? But really, where is my brain power going? And then how do I talk to myself? It's easy to ignore it when you have so much sense uh, coming at you from external sources when you're, you know, you're driving, you're doing your day, you're just going about the motions and you don't notice how you're thinking of the things around you. You're just moving through it. And when you slow down and you go, wait, how do I talk to myself? What's the majority of my thoughts about that can inform all the other stuff on the list. Absolutely. And a lot of the phrases that we hear people say is, I'm my own worst critic. I'm my own worst enemy. I'm my own whatever, fill in the blank. And how do we switch that from I'm my own worst enemy to I'm my own best friend? Because especially if we're slowing down, if we have kind of withdrawn, if we're getting our feet back under ourselves, we are the one that we are constantly with. And, and Am I my own champion? Yes. Do I believe in myself? Am I trusting myself enough to try something new, to put myself out there, to make a change? Because if you're not your own champion and you're just your own critic, you're never going to make a change. You're never going to change anything about your life because you're criticizing, well, why would I even think I could do that? What about me is so special? And the 
the answer might be nothing is special, but it still means that you deserve a change. Like there doesn't have to be some special catalyst to make you change something in your life. It just has to be that you want it and you believe you're capable. That's all. So in some of this, as we've been talking, uh, I think a lot of the topics that we have, the trust, the courage, the boundaries, all of this does lead to anxiety for some people. So, you know, what would you suggest or how would you help people cope with anxiety? I mean, I am one of those people. I am the person that all of that leads to anxiety. Pretty much everything leads to anxiety. Um, In the book, I have a bunch of chapters on anxiety and depression. And I have a number of techniques in there that work for me on certain occasions, don't work for me on others, and work for me, don't work for friends, things that work for friends, don't work for me. I don't believe anxiety techniques are one size fits all. There are certain things that are going to work better for me when I have anxiety before an interview or something Mm -hmm. that wouldn't work when I'm sitting alone in my bed just spinning out. So I I don't think that giving anxiety advice is – it's hard because it's not going to be the right thing all of the time. But I do think you know it when you see it. So if they – if somebody wants to go into the book and – check out a few of the techniques and then say, okay, this is the right one for me or try them and see what does work. Um, that's probably the best approach. Well, and I love that just exactly what you said with some will help with me in this situation. Some won't work in that situation. And I think we forget that. I think that we look for a tool and it's supposed to work a hundred percent every single time. Yeah. And then when it doesn't, we freak out again and we have more anxiety. Yeah. And it's so funny because I say that to people when they're like, well, I tried this the other day and it didn't work. And I'm like, right. But when you're hungry, do you 100% of the time crave a certain dish? Like, no. There's certain times where you're feeling hunger and one thing is going to fix that. And then you're feeling hunger another time and another thing is going to fix that. And the same is true with anxiety. Like there are certain times where one thing is going to fix it certain times where another thing is going to fix it. And it's because the circumstances are different. I like that a lot. And I like the idea of having all of those in like your tool belt. So if you're having that or you're feeling it coming on, you try this, it doesn't work. You try that. Keep trying. Yeah. That's the key right there. Keep trying. Because if you give up and you stop trying, then you're stuck and you're just going to keep swirling in the anxiety and it's it's only going to get worse. So just try some stuff. If it doesn't work, don't discourage and get more anxious that it didn't work. Yes. Well, before we kind of wrap up, I do have one more question for you. Ooh, okay. So you mentioned that you like to travel and travel solo. What's your pl- favorite place you've gone and why? Oh, boy. Um, oh, that's so hard to answer. I <laughs> I love to travel solo too. And so when I find other people who do, I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to know. I love, okay, so I just got back from uh, Greece, Croatia, and Italy, and I really, really loved Croatia. Uh, Greece was cool as well, and Italy was cool as well, but for they're all three very different places, and Croatia was just so unique, and I felt like very underrated. I also love Spain. I've been several times, and I'm going again in a few months. Um, on the other side of the globe, I love Vietnam and Cambodia. I am a big fan. Oh my God. This is like the hardest question to answer. I don't know. <laughs> there are so many places. I, I can tell you that there are very few places I've been that I don't love. I can totally relate to that because it feels as if there's magic everywhere you go. Yeah. If, well, if you're looking for it, I guess that's the, that's the key. And it's all back to trusting yourself. Like if you're willing to just give it a go and have the experience, then sometimes magic comes out of it and stop judging it and being like, this is supposed to go a certain way. Or why am I, you know, when you travel alone, you're going to feel lonely at least one day. You're going to have a hard time meeting people sometimes. And just like surrendering and giving into the discomfort is really, it's a good part of it for me. Like mm-hmm. you can't go home when you feel uncomfortable, just sit on the couch and watch Netflix. Right. Because it's not, it's not your home. And so you're going to be uncomfortable, but like embracing that is a really, you learn so much about yourself when you travel. Mm -hmm. Oh, I agree. And that is like the prescription for me that I would give to people is it doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be expensive. It can be at the town 30 minutes away. 
just go somewhere alone because, you know, all of a sudden it's not about, you know, when we travel with other people, there's where do we want to eat? Where do we want to stay? What do we want to do? And it's, it's a give and take, you know, we don't always go where we, I want to go. We go where they want to go sometimes. And when you go by yourself, none of that exists. You're forced to answer the question, what do I want? Yes. Yeah. And it's hard at first. Yeah. And that tells you that you don't do that in real life. If you're, if you're traveling alone and you're stuck in a hotel room and you can't figure out what you want, figure out how many times in your regular daily life you don't know what you want. Yep. Even choosing a menu item. Yeah. You know, I've re- I didn't, it wasn't until I started traveling alone that I truly realized how much I looked for approval in what I chose on a menu. Me too. I do the exact same yeah. thing. And I was so afraid of getting it wrong and ordering something wrong. And when I started traveling alone, I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> or, what the heck? Or like the judgment of getting something and not liking it. Mm-hmm. So sometimes, you know, you put yourself out there, you try something new, you try a new dish or something. And the judgment of like the people around me being like, you don't like that? Why don't you like that? You don't like to eat that? Why don't you like to eat that? Like, like sometimes I will be at a table and I will order something that I think other people would want to try or share or like seems more socially acceptable to get where really I want like the plain, you know, boring thing on the menu. (laughs) And when I'm alone, I can just order whatever I want and nobody's going to judge that. And that's, Mm -hmm. you know, that's special too. I, that is one of the things that I truly have found unexpected value in. I didn't expect to find so much enjoyment out of traveling alone. Oh, it's the best. It really is. I highly recommend it for everyone listening. We should write a book on traveling alone. Okay. Let's do it. (laughs) That should be book two. (laughs) Why we do it. Yes. Yes. Well, Natasha, before we wrap up, is there anything that you want the listeners to know about your book or in general, anything else you want them to hear? Sure. So Shit Adults Never Taught Us is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Apple Books, Google Playbooks. You can find me on Instagram at Shit Adults Never Taught Us and you can email shitadultsnevertaughtus at gmail.com. Awesome. I will put those links in the show notes too so the listeners can just click and get to you really quickly. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you. This has been such a fun conversation. I've really enjoyed this. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. There were so many great nuggets of wisdom in that conversation, and I truly just love getting to know the people behind the book, who the authors are, the cool things they have discovered and figured out, and just kind of getting to know their personality a little more. This was super fun for me, and I hope you absolutely loved it too. So on that note, I will be back in your downloads again soon. 